This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Thursday Night Podcast in 2021. My name is Taylor and I'm joined by the full crew today, David, Brady, and Jordan. Today we're going to be breaking down Georgia State basketball's two-game road trip to Coastal Carolina, as well as previewing uh, the road trip to Troy next weekend. And then we have some listener questions coming up later on in the episode. So the Panthers go one and one up in South Carolina. Jordan, do you want to give us a breakdown of uh, kind of what went down? Yeah, so uh, like you said, the trip to Coastal was a one-and-one split trip. Eliel Sosemi or Jojo Toppin did not travel. Uh, Friday night, Panthers led 2-0 and then proceeded to trail the rest of the night, shooting 35% from the floor and eventually lost to the Chanticleers 81-69. Justin Roberts scored 14 in that game. Uh, Saturday afternoon, however, the energy was there from the start for Georgia State. Panthers jumped out to a 14-2 lead and led by as much as 14 in the first half. Uh, But Coastal chipped away at the lead, and it was tied at 34 at the half going into the break. Second half, State started with a 16-0 run and did not look back, winning eventually 70-62. Corey Allen led that game with 22 points, going 8 of 14 and 5 of 10 from 3. A real uh, tale of two games weekend. Uh, What Coach Lanier called the lowest on the hustle chart, which they keep tracking for uh, the team as far as well, they measure out hustle each game and based on different things that have to do with effort. And he said that the Friday game was the lowest grade that the team had gotten since he had gotten to Georgia state. And then hustle was everywhere to be seen on Saturday. And so I guess my first thought is I'm wondering how much we're going to see this in across the Sun Belt with the format and in Georgia state's games where it's going to be really hard to beat teams twice And it's going to be really hard, especially beating a team after you've beaten them the night before, because everyone's got the same tired legs. But in that point where everyone's going to be dealing with tired playing a back to back, it's about motivation. And you could tell that the motivation was there for Georgia State after getting a little bit humbled on Friday night. And humbled, they definitely did get. I don't know that I've ever seen Georgia state historically has not been, you know, a world beater in the rebounding department, but I mean, on Friday night, they got out rebounded by 17 and it just, it seemed like any missed shot that they had just fell in the lap of coastal. That's vintage Um, Rod Hunter basketball right there. (laughs) Just punch on rebounds. Just, just start running. And, you know, it wasn't even just like Coastal had, you know, bigs like, yes, Mustafa, you know, he had 16 boards on Friday night and, you know, he played really well. I thought he uh, impacted the game inside for Coastal and obviously the loss of Soseme was huge in that specific regard. But I mean, you know, Devontae Jones had 14 rebounds himself and he's a guard, you know, it just it was an ugly rebounding performance. Um but they turned it around on Saturday, you know, the uh, coastal still out rebounded Georgia state that, you know, that did happen, but the margin, the margin was much less. I believe it was one. Yeah, it was one and Georgia state led most of the second half. And I think coastal missed some shots late and got a couple, you know, second chance rebounds. And I think that they edged right at the end in front, but 
because I was getting ready to fire off that tweet uh, as the game was going on or put it in the, the post game that, you know, after getting humbled on the boards last night, Georgia State won the rebounding battle. And I actually looked at the boss score and I was like, oh, they didn't. Coastal came back. So that surprised me because Coastal just wasn't the same force that they were uh, this second game. And I remember I did say last week that I did not think Coastal was 15 rebounds better than Georgia State. And that's almost exactly what happened the first game. I obviously didn't know Systemic wasn't going to play. So I will say that doesn't really count. Don't old takes me for that. <laughs> We're holding it to you. Don't worry. Okay. It's already been archived. It's going on your permanent record. I'll get the cone of shame. But I mean, it, he didn't, he wasn't missed in the second game, uh, which is, I, I think that his impact with rebounding and just energy, if he isn't on the floor is missed in some way, but it was really impressive to see that it was just a different team the second game and they were in there with rebounding and everything just seemed more cohesive. And we had on Saturday, those two of those stretches that have started to become a little bit of a hallmark of the coach and your teams where there's just multiple minutes of the game where Georgia state is just controlling the game, not allowing the other team to score. They went on a couple of those runs last year and it was a 16 0 run in the second half. It put the game away and coastal could not get close again. And so I think that Georgia state, can't afford to lose that many games overall in conference play. I, there's not that many games. You can't really drop that many, but they really couldn't afford to drop both games. And I mean, just at the point where Georgia state is at now and where they want to be as a program, they just cannot get swept in series. Um, whether it's a normal year where it's a, it's a two different teams, Thursday, Saturday trip, or this year where it's back-to-back games against the same team, just where Georgia state wants to be, they just can't go empty on trips. And so for all those reasons, getting that win and looking good, doing it uh, on Saturday is good. And, you know, I'll say, you know, looking at the energy from Friday to Saturday, you know, Alil Soseme and Jojo Toppin kind of have provided that spark for Georgia state this year. They're both, you know, high hustle guys and guys who are, you know, doing the dirty work, if you will. Um, and you can kind of tell that the team didn't really have that spark on Friday. You know, they, there's kind of not necessarily walking around and, you know, looking defeated, but they just didn't seem like they had that same spark. They kind of let coastal do whatever they want, you know, both offensively and defensively. And that definitely attributes to why the final score was what it was, even if the game was a little bit closer for most of it. But Saturday, as we said, it's a completely different script. And so that win was very important, not only for where Georgia State wants to be as a program, but just from the simple fact that if they are going to lose players, because depth is going to be important this year, you know, if they lose those guys that are kind of your heartbeat, you know, still finding ways to score, you know, Corey Allen had a team high 22 points, you know, and he was electric from three, you know, but there were times when the offense on Saturday was still stagnant when Allen was on the bench. You know, I think we can ask if Allen's foul trouble on Friday was kind of the reason the offense wasn't as potent. You know, there's no way we're going to be able to really tell, you know, but Georgia state is going to need to find offense from everywhere on the lineup sheet, you know, on the depth chart, if they are going to be, you know, in that Sunbelt 
championship conversation. And it was really nice to see that they actually were able to overcome that when they had two starting caliber players out on Saturday. On Friday. Oh, I guess on Saturday too. Um, yeah, I, the Friday, there's so many variables. It's really kind of hard to fairly unpack what the reason was because it was the first game after the break. It had been over a week since the team had played. So no matter who was missing, that might have been a factor in just kind of getting back in the swing of things. And then obviously they knew that they weren't going to have Saseme or Toppin because they didn't travel. Uh, but we don't know how much of an impact that had just on that game because they hadn't played without them yet. Um, so, and then you add in the other stuff uh, with there was some foul trouble. It's there's so many different variables. It's really I, I couldn't tell you what the answer is to which one it was, but I think that go with <laughs> it was the fact that they hadn't played in a week and just say that this you know, when you play Troy on Friday don't have the same lulls um, and hope to see the energy that was there on Saturday against coastal on Friday against Troy. And that will probably be the process that can lead to better results. I mean, as far as we know, uh, nothing official um, was ever said. Cause I don't think you can say with these things, it's 2020 and we know what what would have caused two players to not travel with the team and also not be out for an extended period of time. So it's for all, everything we know is they will be available in the Troy series. And that will be a good thing to have back because they add a lot. Is it worth bringing up that it is 2021? It, yeah. Both of those games happened in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I just was in the 2020 mindset. I mean, it, it's what, December 40th, 2020? December 40th, December 37th. But, like, this season is what it is, and, you know, it isn't, like, everything doesn't get broadcast with COVID stuff, but... Yeah, I think I would... When there are conspicuous absences, but they're also not long-term stated injuries, the lines are there to be read between. So let's move on to a little bit of a preview of the Troy Trojans road trip. That's going to be Friday at 7 p.m. and Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern time over in Troy, Alabama. Head coach Scott Cross, formerly the head coach of UTA, is in his second year at Troy, 15 and 17 in his time at Troy. Troy is averaging 61 points a game and averaging giving up just under 66 points a game, currently shooting 24% as a team from three Zay Williams and Nick Stampley each averaging 11 points per game and 7.5 rebounds per game. They're the only Trojans averaging double digits per game. So now it's time for Tools of the Game, our weekly segment where we break down an upcoming matchup to reveal our thoughts about what both the Panthers and their opponent will need to do to win the game. This week's matchup is the Troy Trojans. Tools of the Game is brought to you by Crawford Tool. The folks at Crawford Tool have been Panther Athletic Club members and football season ticket holders since 2010, and now Thursday night podcast listeners can enjoy 10% off Crawford Tool's entire catalog of quality hand tools, toolkits, and supplies with code THURS at checkout. That's code THURS, T-H-E-R-S. Thursday night does get a percentage of all eligible purchases, so if you want to pick up some great tools at even better prices and help support our efforts along the way, visit www.crawfordtool.com and use code THURS at checkout. Thanks, Crawford Tool, for supporting the podcast. And 24% from three, that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, 
Georgia State has been really good on the perimeter defense for the most part um, under Rob Lanier. So one would hope that that is a constant, if not um, maybe forcing them to a little bit on the lower side from there. Uh, what are our thoughts, David? Yeah, I mean, if Georgia State continues to play defense, they're allowing, you know, 32% from the perimeter so far. Um, I think Coastal was a little bit hot. So if Georgia... Uh, I think Coastal was a little bit hot from three um, in spurts this past weekend. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that 24% number for Troy would go up if Georgia State is keen on giving them a lot of space. Um, so that's one thing that I think Georgia State needs to focus on, you know, continuing to contest shots, continuing to be active defensively around the perimeter. Um, you know, they busted out some zone defense a little bit against Coastal and it definitely threw them off. So, you know, I hope coach kind of keeps that in his back pocket a little bit, just as a little wrinkle. If, you know, Troy decides they want to have a, you know, a sharp shooting evening on Friday or Saturday. Yeah. I, my first thought looking at this game, these games uh, was that we had seen coach Lanier go to that zone a few times this year was in the coastal game, but also I want to say against Charleston on some like out of an out of bounds play, they went to his zone and Charleston had no idea how to attack it. Uh, and I wonder given that 24% mark, I, I know that he is going to be a man principal coach through and through, and he's not going to switch to a 40 minutes of zone, like uh, old friend coach Ron Hunter lived by, but I wouldn't shock me if we see a two, three zone for extended periods in this game, just because Williams and Stampley are forces inside and they're going to try and work it to them. And that it is just such a bad three point shooting team, or it has been to this point that if you're forcing them to take a lot of threes and if you're clogging up the middle and not make, letting it easy for their bigs to work inside, it feels like the formula to, beat a team that's only averaging 61 points a game is just making them take the shots they don't want to take or that they're not as good at as taking and getting them out of their offensive rhythm, such as a team that scores 61 a game has an offensive rhythm. Um, I, I, we, I, we've only done this pod through what, this is our second basketball second full season. season. And this is something that applies last year. Cause Georgia state lost to Troy, both games they played last year and has through multiple seasons that we've gone into games where Georgia state's going to face Troy and thought, you know, this Troy team is blah, you know, this team's just, you know, so, 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 or even bad and Georgia state still lost that game. So there's some weird Troy juju and you got to play them twice in two days now. So you, you just got to kind of hope that went away and that the, uh, the better team prevails. Cause I just think, Georgia state needs to even more than last week, get the sweep here. Uh, every loss is costly. Like I said, when we talk about the coastal series is, but coastal is, has the same record as Georgia state. And they seem like they've got some good guards and they might be players near the top of the division. Unless something jarring happens, Troy should be last place in the East. So this is the team that even if you're playing at their place, if you have aspirations to win the conference, you just got to win two against a team you should beat twice. Yeah. I think the key here for Georgia state is you touched on it a little bit in our discussion on coastal earlier is about how on Friday, it didn't seem like Georgia state was the one 
wasn't the team that was setting the tone. They weren't in the driver's seat. They were reacting to what Coastal was doing. And I think for Georgia State to be successful, especially in these situations where you're playing a team that you should beat, you're playing a team on the road where historically you have struggled in the past for one reason or another. It's going to be really important for Georgia State to go out and set the tone early and assert themselves as the ones in the driver's seat here. Uh, make sure that they're playing at the pace that they want to. They ratchet it up when they feel like they can run. They slow it down when things are getting a little out of out of you know out of control. Um, and they're the ones that are dictating you know, the flow of the game. I really feel like that's going to be the key here. Cause like you said, Brady earlier, you know, Georgia state has played Troy. It's been some weird juju in the past. So controlling the things you can control and playing, you know, within yourselves and understanding what you're good at and, you know, using the personnel you have on the floor at any given time effectively, I feel like it's going to be the key here. You know, just don't beat yourselves. Can I put my like coach hat on? Cause Brady actually made a really good point um, about the zone. And especially if Soseme is out, they might actually stick with zone a little bit longer to force Troy out of the paint. You know, Georgia State's, even if Jalen Thomas gets a lion's share of the minutes, you know, any other defensive option outside of him probably is going to be on the weaker side. So that might especially force them to play a little bit more of a zone to force Troy into taking, you know, those longer, lower percentage shots that they aren't used to hitting just to kind of protect the paint, you know, and not allow those bigs to kind of beat them up a little bit in on the inside. So Ryan Boyce, if you're listening, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be playing a lot of minutes on Friday. That's for sure. Ryan Boyce, if you're listening, hello. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for the friend, friend of the pod, Ryan Boyce. Again, we have every expectation they'd be back uh, until they aren't. Uh, but um, I, I, I'm wondering how much of that is David just still pining for the two three matchup zone. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely uh, that, and not speculating on anybody being out. <laughs> it's you know, if we hit a certain number of minutes, the Georgia State plays zone defense this year, we can bring it back at least for one episode. Or we could just bring it back because we get to decide what's on this podcast. But uh, yeah. Wow. That being said, they don't use the two three matchup zone, so it'd be kind of weird. yeah. It, it also isn't a matchup <laughs> zone; it's just a straight zone. <laughs> Ultimately, I think it's going to come down to this. Georgia State is averaging 85 points, excuse me, 88 points of offense a game. Uh, Troy is allowing, uh, is only scoring 61 points per game. If Georgia State goes out and scores at the the rate that they have shown that they're going to, they're going to get, I'm not going to say an easy win, but they're, they're going, they should win this game if they go out and perform uh, at the, at, at the expectation that we have um, for this team, this point of the season. Yeah, even more than just the raw numbers of points per game, whatever, Georgia State likes going out and running and pushing the tempo. And other teams that Georgia State's played, such as a Coastal, have had the guards and have had the quick tempo themselves that they've been able to make it work and they've kind of been able to beat Georgia State at their own game. Troy is 285 in adjusted tempo and have something in the way of 50 more assist, uh, turnovers than assists and not a team that I, I, I just, it feels like a, a, the first real team that as I, I, I know I've mentioned this a couple of times on the pod, uh, but 
there's going to be teams that Georgia state, the way they play is just going to be too fast for those teams. And as long as Georgia state is not getting turnover happy and not, you know, passing up easy points with a, you know, a dumb mistake here or there, it feels like a real chance for the team that isn't going to be able to play Georgia state style. And the, the problem for or the challenge for Georgia state is going to be not letting Troy grind their tempo all the way down to what Troy wants the game to be. Because if it's a game in the fifties, sixties late, uh, that's the type of game Troy has a chance of winning. If Georgia state's pushing into the seventies or even the eighties, like they're averaging, uh, Troy, I don't think has much of a chance. I mean, averaging 61 tells the story there. But I mean, that's why you play the game. It's going to be about asserting your style and not letting the home Troy team dictate everything. Okay, so uh, before we get you out of here this week, let's move into listener questions. We've got a couple this week. First from Bailey asks, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Well, Brady and David have you seen Die Hard? And would you think it's a Christmas movie? It's definitely still a Christmas movie. It's definitely uh, also on my list of movies to still watch. <laughs> I was going to get the uncomfortable I have failed us uh, answer out of the way. I did see it. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I said when we talked about this. I mean, that segment kind of went a little crazy. So I just that's all like a fever dream at this point. Um, but <laughs> Um, I know that I already believe that Die Hard was a Christmas movie, but now that I have seen it, I can say officially again, it is. Uh, the only thing I'd say that kind of works against it is that it was a July release, but it was still set at Christmas. So in retrospect, I'm wondering, I, I, I know they were probably just trying to get on the summer blockbuster cash, you know, be that summer hit, but I feel like it would have made their future Christmas movie claiming selves easier if they had just done a december release um i don't know i obviously wasn't live in 1980 i know that it's a new thing to be the christmas release so maybe the christmas release movie wasn't a thing then this would have been something that would have benefited people who made die hard back then but i mean i i always wanted to see it was never a thing where i was intentionally avoiding die hard um but i finally seen it and can say that yes it whips ass awesome movie you heard it here first, folks. Noted movie critic Brady Weiler, and I quote, says, Die Hard whips ass. Uh, Taylor, I don't think you were on when we talked about this the last time. What is your opinion about Die Hard being a Christmas movie? Uh, it's unequivocally a Christmas movie, and I've seen it, and it does confirm, uh, does whip ass. All right. Well, uh, noted Die Hard whips ass and is a Christmas movie. Uh, unanimous uh, Thursday night podcast decision. Oh, so Christmas unanimous. 2021 Thursday night viewership, like live stream, live tweet. Uh, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> Die Hard Marathon the DMCA when? would have a uh, problem with us doing that. Are oh, no, no, no. Everyone just will get together. Everyone just press play on your streaming devices at eight o'clock and we're all just going to like get together and like live tweet Die Hard. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you now play we Die have Hard, for the memes. if you hit play, on Die Hard and the Georgia State Baylor game, uh, when you get to the part where uh, Bruce Willis says "Yippee ki it's the same part where <laughs> Steve puts it to the basket. Little known fact: it's a little bit like Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz. It's one of those things. <laughs> and Paul Blart Mall Cop, which is a hilarious mashup. You have to go see if you what's that one that at all. So it's uh, if if you play the album uh, Dark Side of the Moon over the Paul Blart Mall Cop movie. 
uh, like somebody gets hit by a truck right when there's like a drop or a big entrance in one of the songs. And it is, it's stupid. Like there's, there's no reason for it, but that's again, before we go off the rails with the first question of, uh, <laughs> what do you mean before we've gone off the rails? <laughs> this whole segment has gone off the rails. This was a sports it's been off podcast. the rails for a month with this whole yeah, diehard controversy. This is an incredibly on topic set of questions. <laughs> the enough. best part is the next one is just even more off topic. Well, so thank you, David. So that's a nice segue into our second question. Uh, Mike from Marietta at us again with another question. Now that we're caught up on Die Hard, let's have some fun. Since you guys are band guys, and we are, how realistic are the band camp scenes in another great movie, American Pie? Now, I just want to preface this discussion by admitting that, yes, I am a band person. No, I have not seen any of the American Pie movies. Roast me. Do whatever you want. It's fine. Just, Okay. I haven't mean, seen them. It's been a long time. Yeah, but I will say a hallmark for any like ba- uh, any movie that features like any like band performers. Uh, almost always, if you know what you're looking for, and you just look at like the way they move their fingers or like the way they have like their mouth attached to the instrument, it's completely obvious that they have no actual musical experience. Just like oh, flapping God. their fingers. They try to, you know, play act. Um, which is always are moving the sticks, but there's no drum sounds in the exactly. audio. Yeah. I think Jordan is in a little bit safer ground than I and David were not having seen Die Hard. I feel like American Pie is a little bit less of an American institution. It's kind of like one of those like cult classic movies that like you have seen forever ago because you classic. stayed homesick one day from school and it was on daytime Comedy Central or something. Let's say cult movie. <laughs> right. Not knowing who Stifler's mom is is definitely different than, you know, not being able to discuss the plot of Die Hard. So we can get Jordan <laughs> some slack right now. I'm going to I'm going to take a shot and assume that Mike wasn't entirely talking about like the musicality. Uh, but I can say is it completely foreign experience to anything I knew? Um, that is to say my high school experience wasn't in a movie. Docker. <laughs> Sounds like a hot take. It's just um, in breaking news. Brady went to an average high school. He went to Brookwood. Don't even kid yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bailey and Mike, thank you guys for those questions. It's always good to get into a little uh, kind of off topic banter on the pod, even though it does have the tendency to get a little off the rails. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And we will be back next week to break down the Troy road trip and preview coastal part two. Have a great weekend and see you next time. The Thursday night podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia state sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford enterprises, LLC on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by programming director Brady Weiler and technical director Jordan Crawford with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. 